Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Bless the Lord. Great to see you this morning. Are you happy? Look at, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm happy. Amen. Hey, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. How many are ready for the Word of God today, for the Lord to speak to us? Luke chapter 9, we're going to begin reading in verse 21 and read down to verse 28 out of the New Living Translation. And I've titled my thoughts, God's Purpose Will Prevail. God's Purpose Will Prevail. Verse 21, it says, Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. Now let's put some context to this. In the previous verses... Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples. He asked that most famous question, who do men say that I am? Now, Luke gives us the abbreviated uh, uh, situation here. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Can you say amen? amen. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Verse 27, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. And about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to share your word today. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive and give us ears that would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let me start by saying, may we seek to understand the mission of Christ. What is evident in the New Testament is the disciples on several occasions struggled to reconcile how they thought the Messiah would be 
and what they wanted the Messiah to do, they struggled to reconcile these things with what God was actually doing. So let me ask a pivotal question. What happens when there is a collision with our thoughts, with your beliefs, your desires for something, with the actual activity of God? What happens when these things collide? How are we to respond? What are we to do? And how are we to be? You'll notice in the notes that you receive coming in, the very first point is this, understanding the mission. We must always understand the mission of Christ, the mission of the church. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. Now why? Why would Jesus do this? Because he understood that the disciples' understanding of his mission was not yet complete. They were looking for a political revolution, but God was bringing a spiritual transformation. And it's imperative that we understand the mission. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He'll be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. Let's look at Jesus' title. This is important. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. It is a title by which Jesus most commonly referred to himself. In fact, it is used 69 times in the Gospels alone. Some scholars believe that the Son of Man is primarily a shorthand reference to Christ as the representative of humanity. Most, however, see the title's significance as coming from the apocalyptic imagery of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Let me read those verses to you in Daniel 7, verse 13. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. How many are thankful for that? One theologian writes this, in these passages, the Son of Man is an apocalyptic figure, a heavenly person who will come one day and rule and judge the cosmos for eternity. In fact, Jesus quotes twice from this very passage in Daniel when he promises that he will return again on the clouds in power. It seems that this use of this title had a twofold purpose. One being to claim his messianic status while also emphasizing the eternal and spiritual nature of his messiahship rather than primarily political nature. Now let's talk just for a moment 
the Son of Man leads us to talk about his mission. The mission. Jesus said, I've come. Matter of fact, I'm going to suffer. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. What happens when your ideas of how something should be or how something should even turn out conflicts with God's purpose or will? It is obvious throughout the Gospels the disciples did not understand this idea of the Messiah's suffering. They even rejected the idea. It did not fit their understanding. They had no category in their thinking box of how this could be. And for example, Mark records an instance of Peter trying to correct Jesus. Have you ever tried to talk God out of something? Have you ever tried to to say, Lord, it, it shouldn't be this way? See, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, notice, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Peter took the Lord aside and said, what are you doing? How in the world are you talking like this? This is messing up our cause. We don't know anything about this suffering, this being killed, and, and this rising again. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. He reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. I like how the King James puts it. Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) The old country preacher said, and don't push. (laughs) He reprimanded Peter. He says, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Is this not the challenge of mankind? We only see things from a human point of view, and we fail to see things from God's point of view. Now, notice what Jesus says. He gives what I call the three Bs. Luke records the words of Jesus, and he plainly says the Son of Man will be rejected. He'll be rejected by the elders. He'll be rejected by the leading priests. He'll be rejected by the teachers of religious law. And church, I submit to you that he is still being rejected even today. Later in Luke's gospel, Jesus says in chapter 17, verse 25, the Son of Man must suffer terrible things and be rejected by this generation. Many years later, Peter writes in his first epistle, 1 Peter 2, verse 4, you are coming to Christ, who was the living stone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Rejected by people, but chosen by God. Hear me, the disciples had no box for this, no, no way of thinking and processing this, but it was, not, it was not what they had thought things were going to be. But understand, God's purposes will prevail. Not only would he be rejected, he would be killed. Later, 
Peter speaks in the book of Acts and he says this, you killed the author of life. The mission of the Messiah, the Son of Man, his mission was to die, was to be put to death. Why? Paul told the Corinthian church in his second letter, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against him. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. What looked like a setback, what looked like a defeat, what looked like God had nothing to do with it. Actuality, God was reconciling the world to himself. God's purposes will prevail. John writes in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his own son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I submit to you that the only way he could be a sacrifice and the only way he could take away our sins is he had to be rejected. He had to be killed. But hear me, that's not the end of the story. He arose again on the third day. Now, put yourself in these disciples' shoes. They've given up everything. They've gone all in. They left their careers to follow Jesus. They thought in their mind that there was going to be a political revolution. They thought that they were going to sit in seats of judgment beside Jesus as he overthrew the Roman government. And now Jesus is talking about suffering. He's talking about being killed. He's talking about being raised from the dead. Mark says it this way in verse 31 of chapter 8 of his gospel. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. It is important we understand the mission of Christ. And the mission of Christ is to provide a way for salvation to be obtained by whosoever will. May we never lose sight of the mission of the church. May we never get so caught up in life that we miss the mission of Christ. Secondly, let's talk about knowing your duty. Knowing your duty. My duty. After Jesus made this statement, he put things in context as to what he expects of his followers. So he's talking to his disciples. And then Luke tells us that he then said to the crowd, the followers around him, those who had gathered, no doubt, to see the miracles, because chapter 9 earlier tells us he fed over 5,000 of them. They're there looking, no doubt, for another miracle, looking, no doubt, for another sign, looking, no doubt, for what they could receive from him. Jesus turns to the crowd. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own 
way. Give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So Jesus immediately follows up the subject of the cross with another cross. The cross that his followers must carry. Leon Morris writes this. There is, of course, a difference. Their cross was not literal, and their suffering was not atoning, but it was and is real. See, the cross that you and I are called to bear, to carry, it's not a physical beam of wood. The suffering that you and I are called to does not have an atoning work to it. But nevertheless, this cross that you and I are called to bury, it is real, and we must bear it. Let's talk about the subject. Who is he talking about? Being followers of Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Christ? We follow Christ only when we get our way. We follow Christ only when things are good. We follow Christ only when there's no persecution. We follow Christ only when there is blessing. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? See, to be a follower of Jesus is going to demand something of you. It's going to require something of your life. It is interesting that verse 3 opens with Jesus turning to the crowd and making the statement to the whole. He said to the crowd, Mark 8 verse 34, it says, calling the crowd to join his disciples. So Jesus wanted the crowd to understand. Jesus wanted the populace to understand. Those who were following him just for what they could receive from him. Those who were following him just for another sign, another miracle, just for another blessing. He wanted them to understand what it really meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me give us an important note. The gospel message makes a demand on us. The gospel requires something from us. You'll notice here in the passage, there's three things. Give up your own way. Wow. Give up your own way. The King James puts it this way, deny yourselves. Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer, states this, the word deny embraces what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, mortify therefore or make dead your members which are upon the earth. Colossians 3 verse 5. 
See, in our walk with God, there is a constant battle. There is a constant fight with our way and uh, with God's way. Let me give an example. Do we respond to injustice the way we want to? Do we respond with anger in the flesh, give them a piece of our mind, or do we respond with the way we think Christ would? Kindness soaked in goodness. Another example is, when wrong, do we seek revenge? Or do we give room for God, knowing that he is our defender? Do we bless those who speak evil about us? See, the word tells us to bless those who persecute you, and in so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon their head. See, when those that malign you, those that speak against you, they're expecting you to respond fire with fire. But when you respond with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you respond in the power of the Spirit of God, it it defounds them. It amazes them. And the Holy Spirit begins to use that as an arrow to pierce their heart. See, Jesus told the crowds, being a follower of him was going to cost them something. It demands a change of life, a change of lifestyle, a turnaround. Paul speaks about this in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Take a moment and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 13. I'm reading out of the New King James this time. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law was fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If ye live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Can somebody give God praise? Jesus not only said we must deny ourselves, 
but we are to take up our cross daily. The New Living Translation adds the word daily for emphasis' sake. This is something that we must do each and every day. It is not a one-time experience. We must take up our cross daily. There is nothing self-indulgent about being a Christian. Now, no doubt the disciples had probably seen a man take up his cross, and they knew what it meant when a man from one of their villages took up a cross and went off with a little band of Roman soldiers. He was on a one-way journey, and he would not be back. Taking up the cross meant the utmost of self-denial. What's interesting is is Luke's first use of the word cross, and it comes with striking effect. Christ's followers, they have died to a whole way of life. See, this Christian experience demands something of you. It demands you to deny yourself. And to take up a cross, which is a one-way journey. There's no turning back. Everybody in, in Roman culture understood what it was when the soldiers would arrive in your village and then escort a man out carrying a cross. That individual would never return. Luke 14 verse 27 says, if you do not carry your own cross, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross, you cannot be my disciple. Remember, this is not a one and out or a one and done. This is daily. Talking about the cost of discipleship. And Jesus says, follow me. Our duty is to follow Christ. Above all, follow Jesus. Above all, follow his commandments. Above all, follow his example. Above all, follow Jesus. I know emotions may be high. I know emotions may be on edge. But remember your purpose. Remember that God's will will prevail. But you have to keep your eye upon the mission of the church. Be followers of Jesus Christ. Write this under C. Let go and live. If you try to hang on to your life, verse 24, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. See, a good way to lose is to keep holding on to your way. But a great way to win is to let go and to let God. Verse 25, Jesus gives a most profound statement. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? But are yourself lost or destroyed? What do you benefit if you gain the world, but are yourself lost and destroyed? We can win the argument 
but lose the fight. We can win the battle, but still lose the war. We must keep our eyes on our purpose. Our purpose is to tell people about Jesus. Our purpose is to tell people that there is eternal life found in him. Our purpose is to rob the gates of hell and to populate heaven. Our purpose, church, is to declare salvation. Our purpose is to say the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give you life and life more abundantly. Our purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can somebody give God praise? The goal is to win people for the kingdom of God. That's our goal. Is to win people for the kingdom of God. For the things you see are going to vanish away. They're going to be, they're going to disappear. But the word of the Lord will last forever. Now let's spend the last few moments talking about seeing his glory. We talked about his mission. We talked about our duty. And church, I believe one of the most important things that you and I can ever do is see the glory of God in the midst of what's happening. Verse 27, I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. It's interesting to me that Luke in his narrative then takes us to the Mount of Transfiguration. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on the mountain to pray. It is here these disciples are allowed to see the Lord in all of his glory. I think it is of interest that Luke places the events of the transfiguration right after his teaching of self-denial and following him. In church, if we're going to see his glory then we got to be willing to pay the price. If we're going to see the glory of God, the manifestation of the power of the Christ, then we have to be willing to pay the price. All of us want to see his glory, but are we all willing to pay the price? The last fill in the blank is this. Some go further than others. Some go further than others. Church, I don't know about you, but I never have liked being left behind. (laughs) I never did like riding the small bus. I always want to be the one going forward. It was Peter, John, and James who experienced his glory while the others stayed behind. Did they stay behind because they were asked to? 
I don't know. Did they stay behind because they were busy with other things? I don't know. These are good questions to ask and to ponder. How many times have we missed some experience with God because we were too busy or we were not willing to go a little further than the next person? I think in the climate we are in right now, may we have a renewed uh, desire to seek Christ in all of his glory. May we keep the kingdom of God and his principles as the most important thing. And may we be willing to pay the price to go further than others. For there is a mountaintop experience awaiting those who will draw close to God. And he will draw close to you. Could there be a lesson here for us? Could there be a principle we need to learn? Peter and the other disciples were confused. One could even say displeased with Jesus' talk about suffering, about being killed, and then being raised. However, there was a great experience awaiting Peter, James, and John. And church, I believe, if we'll take our disappointments to him, if we'll take our lack of understanding to him, if we will allow Jesus to refocus us on kingdom principles, if we allow Jesus to take us deeper into what it means to be kingdom-minded, then we will experience and see the glory of the Lord. We will have our own mountaintop experience. Now, by way of observation... Luke says they went up on the mountain to pray. And then in verse 29, Luke says, as he was praying. Notice the emphasis on prayer and praying. What is going to get you through your trial? Prayer and praying. What is going to get you through your disappointment? Prayer and praying. What is going to bring you closer to the kingdom? Prayer and praying. What is going to bring reconciliation between neighbor and neighbor? Prayer and praying. What is going to bring a revival in these last days? Prayer and praying. What is going to bring a move of God to our homes? Prayer and praying. What is going to bring the supernatural to our churches once again? Prayer and praying. It's important that you and I give ourselves to prayer and to praying. We must learn to intercede and take our disappointments to the presence of the king and he will help you somebody give God praise what is going to get us focused on kingdom principles is prayer what is going to move us from glory to glory is prayer what is going to allow us to see his glory is prayer Understanding his mission. Sometimes his mission collides with our perceptions, our perceiving, our prior knowledge. In this, 
we must know our duty. But above all, church, may we seek to see his glory. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost and destroyed? We can win the argument but lose the fight. We can win the battle but still lose the war. We must keep our eyes on our purpose. And our purpose as a church is to tell people about Jesus. And our goal is to win people for the kingdom of God. Church, I don't know about you, but I want to see his glory. I want to see Jesus high and lifted up. I want his power and presence to come and renew. I want the power and presence of Jesus to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bound and bruised, those who are discouraged and in, in mourning. I want the power and the presence of God to turn their mourning into dancing, their sorrow into rejoicing. It can happen. May we have a desire to see his glory. Will you stand with me today? Will you lift your hands toward heaven? Those who are worshiping from home, will you stand right there in your living room? Will you lift your hands to heaven? Will you begin to magnify? Will you begin to glorify?